Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Backflips and Nerds, the baseball podcast with a British twist. I'm your host this evening, Russell Eason, but tonight I'm not by myself. I am joined by Rob Navares, our Ray friend. How are you Ooh, doing, Rob? Not so bad. Spending another night sort of staring out the window at lovely weather and contemplating an episode of Tiger King rather than going for a lovely walk, unfortunately. <laughs> but such is the world these days. Such <laughs> is the world these days. Uh, we are both delighted to be joined by a seasoned professional umpire who has umpired at every level of baseball in the United States and across the world. Uh, we are delighted to bring to you Perry Lee Barber. How are you doing, Perry? I'm very fine. Thank you. Here in Phoenix, Arizona, where it's very hot, uh, unlike where you are in London, but we are trying to make the best of a bad situation here like people all over the world. So thank you for giving me something interesting to do today. <laughs> <laughs> it's our pleasure. I think it's going to be, it's going to be more interesting and more fun for us. Um, I think we'll uh, start off with kind of like the, the, probably the most question that you've been asked most often. Uh, how did you get into umpiring in the first place? How did I get into it? It was an accident, not on my part, um, but on my mother's part, I think, because she was the one who suggested to me that I start umpiring Little League Baseball in 1981. And the reason she suggested it to me was because of a series of dots that she connected that to this day, I do not think I would ever have connected on my own if she had not done it for me. And my life would have been very different if that hadn't happened. But I had recently fallen in love with baseball. I was not a baseball fan growing up. And then all of a sudden when I was 27 years old, I fell suddenly, violently, madly in love with baseball, um, purely as an academic exercise, because I had a good friend who was constantly challenging me to trivia. Um, I was a Jeopardy champion when I was 19 years old. Do you, do you wow. know what Jeopardy is? Uh, it's was... a very popular, it's yeah. a very popular, yeah, it's a very popular quiz show 
that's been on here in the United States since 1963. And I was on when I was 19 years old. I was one of the youngest champions they ever had at the time. And because of that, ever since in my life, people always love to challenge me to trivia. And so I had a friend who I could hold my own with any category except for baseball. And I finally got irritated with myself and decided I was going to educate myself about baseball. So I went about it a completely different way than most people do, which is by participating in some way, going to see a game, having a friend or a child or being on a high school team or in a high school and supporting the team. That was not the way that I approached it. I did it by going to the bookstore and picking out a bunch of books and reading them. And from the first moment that I started reading about baseball, I was hooked. And I just read and read and read and read for a year. That's all I did was read books about it. And about a year after that, I started going to see baseball games just to see what all, all the fuss was about. And um, from there, I progressed to making frequent visits to my mother who lived in California. And it turned out that she was a huge baseball fan all my life, but I never connected with her on that level. So when I became a fan, I would visit her frequently out in Palm Springs, California, and we would go see either the Dodgers or the Angels literally almost every night that I was there. And it was just a beautiful way to connect with my mother towards the end of her life in a way that I had never um, had the opportunity to before. So a year after we started going to see baseball games together, she found it, she saw an ad in the local paper that a Little League was looking for umpires for the summer. Now this was 1981, and you're probably way too young to remember or even care, but the Major League Baseball players went on strike that yeah. summer for about three months. There was no Major League Baseball. And so at that point in time, the thought of not being able to go see baseball with my mother was devastating to me. So when she pointed out this ad and said, look, why don't you call them up and, you know, try this? And I looked at her like I thought she was out of her mind because umpiring was not something that had ever occurred to me. I was like everybody else. The umpires are out there. The, time, the only time I noticed them was when they did something wrong. So, um, like I said, it was not um, it, at the forefront of my consciousness to become an umpire. But with the thought of the strike looming on the horizon, I thought, well, why not? It's something to keep me connected to baseball. And so I called up the Little League and just exaggerated my credentials slightly, a little bit. Ooh, what did that involve? Um, because frankly, they were totally non-existent. <laughs> and luckily, I think they must have been desperate for umpires because I was hired over the phone on the spot told to show up at an office three days later where I picked up one of those big balloon chest protectors, the outside protectors that umpires oh, yeah. used to use. They gave me a big balloon chest protector, a pair of shin guards and a mask and said, here you go. Good luck. And that was the extent <laughs> of my preparation. Other than the fact that I'd run to a bookstore and tried to locate a, a rule book and had scoured it diligently in the days before my first assignment. But as I found out very quickly, 
reading a rule in the rule book and seeing it when it happens in front of your eyes and being able to apply the rule at a split second and act as if you know what you're doing and that you're confident about what you're doing is a very different story than just looking at words on a page. So it was a very, very eye-opening experience for me working my, umpiring my first baseball game at people were yelling at me and I had never <laughs> been yelled at in my life. I had always been praised and told I was wonderful and witty and, and there were people literally with veins popping out of their necks and their eyes bulging out of their faces because as good as my intentions were i really did not do a very good job i i readily admit it but there was something about the experience that rather than make me feel bad about myself which happens to a lot of umpires unfortunately when they're new when they're starting out they take so much abuse and criticism that it really hurts them and makes them feel like they don't want to continue umpiring because the risk to reward ratio is very high and mm. unfortunately that's the paradigm but there was something about that experience that had the opposite effect on me and i'm very thankful for that and i think a lot of it is because of the way i was raised and my mother's um, giving me a, a, an example and being a role model of strength and resolve. And so I realized very quickly that people weren't complaining because I was a woman. And there was really nothing feminist about my being out there. It was just I wanted that connection, that physical connection to baseball. And so I made up my mind the, the second day that I wasn't going to take anything out there personally and that I was gonna learn to do it well so that people would stop yelling at me. And the very next day I sent away for applications to the two umpire schools at the time and made up my mind to go to the Harry Wendelstead Professional Umpire School in Florida. And I took my twin sister with me so I wouldn't be the only woman in the class of 180 men. And we made quite the dynamic duo, <laughs> let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, I imagine you did. at umpire school. That sounds like such a, a kind of like you had a drive to do this, but I, I just quickly wanted to discuss kind of like before you got into umpiring, you have mm. probably like uh, 10 years of your life that you could probably send so many other stories about your uh, times at the Troubadour, your times as <laughs> being a, uh, a leading act for some of the best artists of all time. Like how, how do you go from kind of like doing that to kind of deciding that, baseball is the thing that I want to do and not just baseball it's it's umpiring like there had to be you kind of already said it but some just amazing switch in your head to kind of go actually this is what I want <laughs> to me it wasn't so much a switch as a kind of a natural progression I I've always been creative and uh, had artistic impulses and I started playing guitar pretty much self-taught when I was 15 years old. And by the time I was 22, I think, or 20, I was performing in clubs and bars around New York and got lucky. A couple of agents saw me playing at a place called Max's Kansas City, which was a pretty popular hangout back then. And they started sending me out as the opening act for some major uh, rock stars like um, Bruce Springsteen, 
um, Billy Joel, Hall and Oates, and Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jew Boys. <laughs> Shouldn't forget them. <laughs> um, so I had a great time. But you, you actually touched on the secret to my existence when you when you said you found something that led you or inspired you or drove you to continue. And that impulse or that drive is has been my entire life to avoid getting a real job. So <laughs> that's why I picked up the guitar and started playing in clubs. And <laughs> that's why I progressed to umpiring because it kept me out of the office and kept me from being somebody else's underling um, rather than being a, an independent contractor and able to set my own schedule and basically do what I wanted to do, which was to be free and happy. And as much as my mother expressed misgivings about my lifestyle, both as a musician and an umpire, she, I think, secretly was kind of proud of me. And she never complained when I invited her to Florida to ask her to come and watch me work Mets games <laughs> or Yankees games. <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, uh, you, you say you, so you, you teamed up with your, with your twin sister. Sorry, yeah. So, so you yes. teamed up with your twin sister My and twin um, sister. went off to, to umpiring school. Um, uh, what, what exactly does umpiring school really consist of? Because we hear, we hear this said all the time. We went to umpiring school. You spent X number of years there doing it. What actually happens behind the doors at umpiring school? It's a five-week course. There are two accredited schools that are um, positioned to send umpires out into professional baseball, only two schools in the whole, whole country. Each of them generally uh, has a class of anywhere from 100 to 180 students. The, the numbers vary from year to year. Um, but it's very intense competition because only the top 10 or 15% get jobs. Mm. And the years that I went, the classes were very full. And I knew that it was going to be all men because back then, women umpiring or going to umpire school was pretty much unheard of. There was one umpire out in pro ball, Pam Postema at the time. And I kind of looked to her to help me figure out a path. And my sister, bless her, I, I kind of conscripted her, both as my <laughs> first steady partner, because I didn't mention that in the little league that I worked in the summer of 1981, the assigner who had hired me told me the next day when I called him and I said, am I going to have a partner today? And he said, well, I'm sorry, but I can't get anybody to work with you. Nobody would work with me. And it wasn't because I was terrible, because at that point, nobody really knew. It was simply because I was a woman and they were not used to that. So I said, well, I've got somebody who would work with me. And I didn't tell him it was my identical twin sister, but she came in from Los Angeles where she was working and she was my first steady partner that summer of Little League. And bless her heart, if she hadn't been there for me as my support system, I probably would have quit. I would have gotten disillusioned or upset and decided not to do it anymore. But she was my rock of Gibraltar. And so when I told her that I was going to umpire school, she said, well, I'll go with you because we shouldn't be the only one there. And so she majored in drinking and I majored in umpiring. So we didn't make great <laughs> roommates, but we had a good time. And umpire school 
is a very intense and demanding thing to do. It's five weeks during the month of January and the first mm. week of February. And every day you're in the classroom for three or four hours, going over rules, being tested, having discussions. And if you've never been in a room with a hundred umpires discussing a rule, oh my Lord, <laughs> it is an experience, believe me. <laughs> Nobody is ever on the same page, but somehow we managed to come to the same conclusion. That this is the rule and this is the way we're, we're charged with enforcing. It. so it works out one way or the other but it's very intense uh, the competition is fierce although you do develop very close friendships with the people that I mean I'm still close friends with people that were in my first mm. class of 1982 because I went back four times and there uh, there's a major league umpire named Phil Cuzzy who was in the class each year each of my four years so we went through the class and he wouldn't have gotten a job if, if one instructor hadn't stuck up for him, a, a major league umpire at the time named John Hirschbeck. But like I said, the competition is very stiff and only uh, probably 15 umpires out of a class of 150 will wind up getting promoted into pro ball. The rest of them go back and they work high school and college and some of them go back and try again. But you have to be very, very credential, very smooth. Um, they, they look for certain things. And, and one of the things that, that I learned that they look for is not so much um, accuracy as it is carriage. There's a thing about the way a major league umpire carries him or eventually herself. And that has a lot to do with what we call game management. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I believe that you can teach because I did not know anything about it until I went to umpire school. There was so much about human nature that I learned at umpire school about learning to work with different personalities because every ball game is different. Every ball game has different characters. And if you cannot adapt and adjust to working with those different personalities and people, you're going to run into problems as an umpire. Because I see my role as an umpire as a conductor of an orchestra, so that everybody plays when they're supposed to, everything progresses smoothly. And I'm not the, um, I'm not the dictator out there. I don't tell people what to do. People do what they do. I just make decisions and make rulings based on what they do. But um, it's a very interesting dynamic. And up until I started umpiring, there was a lot about it of which I was not aware, obviously. And uh, I love helping people understand that it's much more important for an umpire to be able to manage a ball game successfully, even if that means that there's one brief interlude where somebody gets ejected and you have an argument, which is, is very entertaining for the spectators. But for an umpire, it's it's kind of a drag, frankly, because we have to write ejection reports, and that's paperwork. And that's what I've tried to avoid my whole <laughs> life is paperwork and desk work. So we don't actually go out looking to toss ball players out of games. We look to keep them in the game, if at all possible. And that's what umpire school teaches you, um, the, the tau of umpiring, the way to umpires successfully and that includes forgiving yourself for making a bad call every once in a while just holding your head up and moving on to the next 
play and paying attention and being in the in the present moment so that something that happened a half inning ago doesn't screw you up for the rest of the game. And I see that a lot with ball players. And it's generally the difference between what sets the ball players that are successful apart from the ones that are not as successful. It's not a matter of talent or physical prowess. It's a matter of what's up here and here most of the time. And that's something very valuable that umpiring has taught me and that um, I learned at umpire school. So, and I had great instructors and, and great classmates too. I'd love to come back and um, uh, touch again on some of those sort of uh, getting your head around making mistakes in a moment, but ju- just still on umpire school for a moment. Um, again, I, I have very little knowledge of what sort of really happens there. And you say it's, it's, it's classroom based. Was there, was there any element of sort of, sort of practical teaching with it as well? Did you, oh. did you get to see oh, people yes. throw balls? Yeah, the and, classroom yeah. isn't, oh yes, absolutely. Yes. It, it's a mix. The classroom portion takes place usually in the mornings, unless it's raining and then they mix it up. And then there are five, six hours out on the field doing drills, learning positioning, learning mechanics, um, going over situations. And then uh, when I went to school, their uh, high school would come in in the afternoons and play a game, and the umpires would be rotated in and out every right. half inning. So you would get a half inning of work, go switch, and then work the bases the next half inning. And so you're, you're on the go at umpire school from 7 o'clock in the morning, sometimes until 7, 8 o'clock at night. And there a lot of students would stay at the fields late, just to work on their mechanics, you know, the physical motions that umpires make calling safe and out because Mm. there's a lot about the way an umpire looks out there doing those motions that adds or detracts from his, the impression that he leaves with people that are watching the game concerning his overall competence. And it doesn't always have to do with that, but in umpiring, we have an, an expression Perception is reality. So uh, you can look like you know you can you can know what you're doing, but if you don't look like you know what you're doing, you're going to run into problems. And that's what we try to minimize as umpires: problems. <laughs> so yeah, umpire school is is pretty brutal. It's like it's like Marine boot camp: five weeks of on the go, being tested, criticized. Um, readjusted, constantly told you can do this better, um, built up, deconstructed, built up again. And most of us come out of it uh, feeling very rewarded, even the ones of us that didn't get jobs. And I never did. I never placed higher than 40th in any of the classes that I went to. But I never felt that I, you know, had been given the short end of the stick. I just decided, well, I, I love this and I'm going to keep doing it. And so what that I didn't get a job in professional baseball. There's so much baseball other than that. There's high school, college, adult, um, children's leagues. And now there's a growing universe of girls and women's baseball that I've been part of for the last 10 years. And that has been a very rewarding part of my umpiring odyssey. Yeah, you mentioned that there were options for you to go on to next after you decided that this wasn't going to happen uh from reading some of like uh, history of uh, some of the things you've like either said yourself or been written by you baseball has taken you across the world 
and, and you've umpired at like various levels around the world as well as in the US. Can you give us like a few highlights of kind of like where baseball took you and moments and games that kind of you hold dearest? <laughs> I've been so fortunate that I did not get a job and yet somehow I wound up umpiring professional baseball. Um, I've umpired major league baseball only during spring training. There's not been a woman yet who has umpired a regular season major league baseball game, but maybe in five or six years, there are a couple of women now who just got promoted to high A, which means that the, the usual trajectory would have them being call-ups in about four or five years. So that, that may happen. But um, because I was never in professional baseball, I, meaning minor league baseball, that circuit of farm clubs that the major that major league baseball basically sponsors here in the United States. I just found other doors that were open to me and uh, a lot of my progression from working little league to going to umpire school to deciding not to go back to New York where I was living and grew up in the wintertime but to stay in Florida and to start umpiring in January rather than wait until April or May mm. when the weather is warm enough up north so I right away I just started working 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 and down in Florida there were lots of opportunities yes. there's a season January February and March when colleges just descend mm. on the state and colleges from all over the country come down so I, I could work, I worked five games a day back when I first started in the wow. 1980s, just to keep getting better, keep working. And if I ever met with resistance or backlash, you know, for whatever reason, and, and I, like I said, early on, I made a decision never to regard any obstacle that I ran up against as being there just because I was a woman, but as, as something that I could find a way around or over at some point. And that's what I always did. If one door closed to me, I would go down to the barracks where the college coaches were staying with their players when they were having lunch. And I would hand out my business card and say, if you need umpires for your um, games that you need umpires in a hurry, give me a call, I'll get umpires for you. And so I slowly started to build a reputation. And umpires my male partners i guess spread the word that i really wasn't that terrible that i didn't you know make them look bad out on the field that i actually was a good partner and so uh, i just kept working and got lucky very lucky i i was umpiring some fantasy camp games which are games that major league teams uh have their older old-time players act as coaches for people that pay a lot of money mm. to go and pretend that they're major league baseball players. They put on a uniform and use the facilities and it's a great thing for people to do. And I've gotten a lot of work out of those fantasy camps and through umpiring a Mets fantasy camp, one of the Mets executives saw me at the complex in 1985 and asked me to umpire some legitimate spring training games uh, what are called interest squads. And from that, I just took it and rolled with it and developed relationships with a lot of the teams in the Grapefruit League. That's the circuit of teams that are yep. in Florida during spring training. And um, I did that 
for 10, 15 years, and then I got into international baseball um, through a series of, of happenstance, fortunate circumstances. Um, I belong to a, a very um, venerable organization called SABER, the Society for mm. American Baseball Research. And uh, a Japanese member got in touch with me back in 1987, I think it was, and, and started writing articles about me, totally unbeknownst to me, and kind of turned me into a celebrity in Japan, and I didn't even know it. So I got this invitation to go umpire some uh, Japanese spring training games in 1989. And from the moment I got off the plane, I had, I mean, I, it was like I was Kim Kardashian or something. <laughs> I had a sea of journalists and photographers following me everywhere I went. Wow. And I just had the greatest time and was treated like a queen and, um, got, you know, a little notch on my belt from doing that and mm. used it to uh, get other assignments overseas and just connected with different umpiring organizations and worked the phones and, you know, worked my games and just didn't let anything uh, tell me, you know, this is something that you shouldn't be doing or why are you doing, even though I would still hear it at games, sometimes still do. 40 years on, which is kind of funny to me. Um, yeah, what are you doing here? Go home. You're terrible. <laughs> so, but that's part, that's part of uh, what we learn to process without falling apart uh, as an umpire. You learn not to take anything personally and just to process it so that you derive something valuable from it rather than let it crush you which unfortunately can happen and I've seen happen. And it's very sad. A lot of very talented umpires have not been able to withstand that type of constant emotional assault on their, you know, integrity as a human being. And so they get disillusioned and they quit, which is a shame because umpires are needed <laughs> we and i'm not talking about robot umpires i'm talking about us human <laughs> flesh and blood umpires we are we are definitely integral <laughs> lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And how did you... Um, uh managed to sort of keep keep your level head when as you say a lot of people were were, were moving out of the game because they 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 had too much uh, sort of an in, insult to them and it, it came to them and and you know you're human just like everyone else and and we've all had bad days at work i, I think that your work in particular you get an awful lot of of stick for for just doing your job properly how was it you managed to sort of sort of keep <laughs> the, the lid on that 
Interesting question. There's so much about umpiring that has to do with emotion and psychology mm. and processing information that I wasn't as aware of until I started umpiring. But I think a lot of it has to do with just the way I was raised and educated and the fact that um, I, I was raised in a household of women, uh, basically a matriarchy, because my father vanished when I was very young. Um, he was out of the picture. And, and my brother went off to boarding school when my mm. twin sister and I were eight years old. So we grew up in a household of very strong um, women, uh, including my mother, my grandmother, my aunts. Um, and so I had very good examples of strong women in my life. Although I myself was not strong, I never felt that way. And when I started umpiring, the way I would describe it, 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 was, it was as if a better, stronger person inside me came out. Oh. And that I had been waiting for that better, stronger person to emerge all my life. Because up until I started umpiring, I did not know how to stand up for myself. I did not know how to set boundaries. I didn't know how to say no. I was more concerned with being nice to people and making them like me and feeling appreciated for my charm rather than the fact that I deserved respect because I, I could handle myself, because I could handle other people, because I was doing something that was a valuable service to a lot of people. And umpiring instilled a lot of that in me. But um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with, like I said, the kind of person that I am anyway. Um, and that umpiring just sort of brought out the qualities in me that I, I had been hoping all my life that I would somehow be able to achieve, but wasn't able to until somebody got in my face and said, go home, you're brutal. And I said to myself, why is he saying that to me? I mean, maybe I am brutal, but first of all, he's not setting a very good example for the children. He's not setting a good example for the parents. So I have to figure out a way to change that dynamic so that people have a good time, nobody gets hurt, and that I feel like I've contributed something uh, productive and valuable, and that you know people don't walk away talking about me instead of talking about the ball mm. game. Because no umpire ever likes to be the focus of attention out there. We are background, and that's the way we like it. <laughs> I think we, when we people notice like it us, when, it's usually because uh... we've done something wrong. <laughs> I think we quite enjoy it. It's made some of the best highlights we've seen over the last few years have been some umpire moments. I know. And <laughs> the, the replay has changed that dynamic so radically. And I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's unfortunate that we don't have the ridiculous arguments and, and uh, set twos that you, <laughs> you used to see that were so common in, in just about every baseball game. But there was a certain joy to the interaction itself regardless of the fact that it was you know testy or or you know violent or or filled with expletives but just the interaction uh, you know because it's two humans out there yeah. kind of doing a dance and there's something very entertaining and um educational about that and as soon as replay came into the picture a lot of that uh 
just disappeared. And to me, it, it, I mean, well, there's a lot about the way baseball is progressing now under the current leadership here in the United States that um, purists like me find very disappointing because we like baseball without being gussied up, um, mm -hmm. without, you know, all of this flash and, you know, lights and T-shirt throwing contests and things going on that aren't really part of the game. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad to me that we're getting to the point where umpires are being regarded as not necessary to the, uh, re, to the um, playing of a baseball game, when in fact we are. And, and as far as I'm concerned, the, the use of the rope, the plate robot umpire, the one that mm. the plate umpire will wear a headpiece and hear yeah. the robot saying strike or ball, and then being charged with repeating that judgment rather than using his or her own judgment back there. Mm. I, I just, I can't see how that is good for baseball. Frankly, if, if ball players are going to get out there and play a flawless ball game, I'm all for robot umpires that never make mistakes. But as long as there are ball players kicking an easy ground ball or making a mental mistake and not tagging up on an easy, you know, sacrifice fly, um, umpires should be out there too, uh, you know. And most of the umpires that work high school, college, levels like that on up into the major leagues have some degree of training and some degree of competence. And we should not be, we shouldn't be treated so badly. <laughs> we shouldn't be held that we should be told that we're, you know, doing a great job. And um, most people don't get that. They, they think that we're objects of derision and that they're entitled to use us as punching bags. Um, and I've never agreed with that. And, and I've spent 40 years trying to change that perception. And I don't know how much good I've done, but um, I, I like to think that when people see me at work or they meet me and they find out that I'm, I'm an umpire, that they will go out with a, a new perspective on umpires that they see working other games and that they'll think a little more kindly of them. So. Yeah, I think uh, as an individual, I've coached and refereed uh, soccer at about the age of seven or eight in, in the UK. And I've taken abuse from oh, parents even at, at, at that level. Uh, and so I, I obviously have seen the abuse that uh, people can get at a higher level. And it, you get once you get that for a tiny amount, you kind of develop a, a, a respect for those individuals that really just grows because I can't, Yes. I can't imagine having that much pressure and vitriol thrown at me doing my day job. Like, <laughs> if I'm sat here and I'm working on some Excel spreadsheets and someone's like, you put that number in wrong. That was an awful mistake. You divided what you should have multiplied. It's just like, I, I, I couldn't imagine like just having somebody standing there just shouting at me whenever I made a mistake because I make them all the time. I run code and it fails and I'm like, oh yeah, I should have done You're this. Right. It's like, there's not really somebody just shouting at me. It's, it's a exactly. pressure and a mindset that right. is, is amazing to me. And I, I, I'm in awe of you to not only do this under normal circumstances, but to do this under the circumstances of being one of a very few female umpires during our time period. I'd like to move on to 
2008, if we could talk about the mm. game that you had in spring training, the, the major league team, where you were part of a four-women team, the first sure. four-women team. So it was uh, Teresa Fairlady, uh, Mona Osborne, Elevela Car- Carcel, and yourself were... I love, I love Alcacel. Of Alcacel, yeah. Well, and yourself were part of a team. Uh, how, did, how did that kind of like come yes. about? And how was that day? Well, I had been, I had uh, had a relationship with the Mets since 1985. So they would call uh, the equipment manager, who at the time was a, a fellow named Charlie Samuels, would call me several weeks before spring training started, and he'd say, "Here's the schedule. Um, this is we need four umpires for this game. We'll use a crew of two umpires for this game. Blah blah blah." So I would get the umpires for those games. I was basically the assigner. So he um, gave me this game. It was the Mets against the University of Michigan because mm-hmm. the owner of the Mets was a University of Michigan alumna, alumnus. And I just decided this is my chance. And I called up my three other women umpire friends that lived in Florida, and I didn't tell any of them. They Each of them thought they were just going to come work a game with me, it would, that it would just be the <laughs> two of us. And so I, I had a good friend that worked at a hotel. I got each of them a hotel room for $25 a night. And the next morning, I, I told each of them, uh, I'm going to come to the hotel and I'll meet you. And so we, I drove into the parking lot and the looks on their faces when they all got out of their cars and saw each other and realized what was going on, I, I was just so rewarding to me. And I, I explained to them, okay, this is what's happening. And I'll never forget, we were in the dressing room getting ready and the equipment manager knocks on the door and pops his head in and, and says, You've got 45, uh, and he he sees the four women sitting in the room, and he looks at me, and he goes, you know what you're doing, and he just turns around, and he leaves, (laughs) bless his heart, and we we walked out onto that field, and we could hear the snickers, and the gasps, and the comments, (gasps) look, because three of us had ponytails hanging defiantly mm. down our backs, <laughs> waving in the Florida breeze. And um, right up from the first pitch, I just felt so good because my partners just were so smooth and confident. And I, it was just one of the happiest days of my life. And we got routinely good reviews. The next day, there were a couple of articles in the paper and there was a picture that was taken of us that went all the way around the world. We were in the front page of the LA Times sports section and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and I was very grateful to my partners. And unfortunately I haven't had the opportunity to repeat that uh, in the intervening 12 years as ridiculous as that sounds Mm. because um, I didn't get any games after that, that they wanted four umpires for it was always either three or two. So anyway, but I still make a point of every chance I get of hiring women to umpire with me. And I do that a lot for women's baseball tournaments now when I am the assigner. And yeah, that was a great day. It was a great day, 2008. And and none of them knew what was going on until they actually got to the ballpark, (laughs) which is very funny. So. Oh, that that, that sounds amazing. uh, The other great 
sharing it. Yeah. Uh, a few years later, my nephew, my twin sister's younger son, went to umpire school. <laughs> and I'm not sure if he did it just to sort of pay homage to me, to his aunt, or because he really, I don't, I don't think he was really serious about it, but it was something that he wanted to do. And he was still young enough that he had a, a shot. So he went to school and he graduated. He did not get an assignment into pro ball, but he stayed in Florida and he umpired games. I hooked him up with an assigner and I actually took him to um, the Mets spring training ballpark to work a Mets game with me. And again, I didn't tell him, I told him, we're going to go work a junior college game. And so when we rolled into the Mets parking lot <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, what? <laughs> and that was just for me uh, to be able to umpire with my twin sister's son, um, you know, 32 years after she umpired with me and, you know, kept me stable was just a, a beautiful, beautiful moment for me. So and he didn't umpire for very long. He, he went on to um, other things in his life. So, and so did my sister after we umpired, after she went to umpire school with me. I mean, I don't understand it. She started doing regular stuff like being a nurse and, and <laughs> getting married and having children. I, I, what? I mean, come on. Yeah. Put yourself um, with your twin anyway. sister. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you, you've mentioned yes, this a couple of times. sister Warren. <laughs> you've mentioned this a couple of times though, but we, we haven't had a female umpire of a major league game. You mentioned that they're five or six years away from that maybe being the possibility. Given the ground that you potentially broke yourself decades ago now, has there been a failing within MLB that it has not got to the stage that some of the other leagues have, like the NBA and the NFL have female refs at some of the highest levels of, of their sport, but we haven't seen it in MLB. So I was wondering if you thought that Emily had failed somewhere or if this was just as naturally occurred because it hasn't had like somebody sponsoring it or really pulling it as high as they can. Oh no, I definitely regard MLB as failing at this for not stepping up to the plate and finding out a way to draw women to the umpire schools and get them trained properly and promote them and provide them with the support that is routinely offered to male umpires, but up until very recently was never offered to the women. And there were very few that made the attempt and bless their hearts, they had to put up with just unbelievable abuse and lack of support, even from their own partners and supervisors. Up until Rhea Cortesio uh, got released in, I think it was 2007 or 2008. Um, but since that time, the leadership at the two umpire schools has changed. The instructors have changed. And I think there is a, a new attitude that is much more receptive to the idea that women aren't just, you know, eye candy and jokes that we are serious and we bring something very valuable to the table as umpires. And that's uh, been the biggest impediment that we've had to overcome. And yes, I regard um, Major League Baseball's total lack of uh, action uh, as a big failing. Although, frankly, it's not Major League Baseball's responsibility. It was always Minor League Baseball's and the, and the two umpire schools. 
And for a long time, I regarded their uh, lack of initiative on, on that um, subject to be a failing as well. But no longer, I'm very happy to say, uh, the, the sands have shifted radically in the last five, 10 years. And now the two uh, head instructors at the umpire schools are actively looking for women. And they both said to me, I wanna be the one to put the first woman out into the major leagues. Um, so that's part of my mission now is to find women that are uh, capable and have the, have, have the aptitude and the determination and the desire to go to umpire school and embark upon a, a path that is fraught with uh, uncertainty and poor pay and not very good uh, working conditions. There's a lot of travel and uh, people think it's a lonely life, but uh, you know, I don't know how much that applies. Loneliness is what you create, you know, and umpires in general are a very fun bunch and we have lots of friends and they all think we can get them tickets to Yankee Stadium at five <laughs> minutes notice. Um, when in fact, you know, I say, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, it has been a, a long, difficult, precarious road changing the attitudes that prevented Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball from understanding that they need us. They need women. Mm. Um, we, they do. Um, because umpiring is a dying profession. Because of the perception of umpires as you know, objects of scorn and derision and the impression is that that's the entire package when in fact that part of umpiring is so fleeting and unsubstantial that for umpires it it hardly even matters it's part of the growing process but for everybody else that's what we are we're the ones that stand out there and get yelled at and you know blow calls when in fact that's like i said it's a very very fleeting ephemeral part of the overall picture and that's what we've had to work on changing changing that perception changing the paradigm so that women can look at umpires and read about umpires and say that's something that i think i might want to do instead of reading all of these tales of woe about you know the bad bad conditions and the lack of pay and you know how dreary and how just how dreadful the whole thing is no to me that has like I said, it's just such an infinitesimally small part of the overall picture. And most of it is just filled with great satisfaction and joy and wonder and happiness at being out there in the most beautiful office in the world, blue sky, green grass on a diamond. What could be better? You know, and it's just, so we, we've had to change that uh, perception. And right now, sending the message, getting the message out to women that umpiring is a profession that will now welcome you and um, embrace you is very important um, because a lot of women still aren't aware of that. And I think so that's, that's what maybe I'm a, trying to do is get that yeah. message out. I think that's may, maybe a, a baseball-wide uh, thing that's going on right now. I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing certainly the media with... Uh, with some stuff not actually in this country yet, but we're seeing depictions of female baseball players a lot more. And of course, we've got the first major league 
um, uh, female coaches, Good. which is which is fantastic. And, and perhaps it's perhaps yes. it's a step for for baseball in general yes. rather than umpiring specifically. Yes, well, for all sports in general, mm. that uh, you know, I think the fear until recently was that one woman in one league would open the floodgates to a shrieking horde of estrogen crazed banshees that would be invading and overpowering the male participants when in fact that has never been the case ever (laughs) we just want to have you know we want to be there we want to have the fun that the men are having Mm. we don't want to take over we don't want to destroy them destroy anything we just want to be able to play if we want to play with or against them if we're capable but most women would prefer to play with and against other women um you know because we know when we grow up we're not physically upper body strength we can't compete with men on that level although there are always some outliers that will be able to um but most of them like i said just want to be able to keep playing for the for the joy and that means playing with other women who also want that same thing. We don't want to show men up or prove that we're better. It's just we, we just want to play baseball and umpire baseball and coach. And why shouldn't we? And it, why shouldn't we has always been a very strange question to me. And, and, and baseball has never satisfactorily answered it, but it's starting to find answers now, thankfully. So, and a lot of it is because of people like you who are willing to offer your platform to people like me so that I can talk about this and people can get a new understanding of what umpiring is and how wonderful a thing it is to do and why they should be a little more supportive of local umpires working their youth games and things like that. So thank you very much for asking me to be here. And thank <laughs> your former guest, Meredith Wilson, for uh, getting me in touch with you. She was fantastic. I listened to your interview with her a couple of times, and she's just always so great. Her yeah. erudition is very, very um, uh, awesome, uh, awe-inspiring. <laughs> and um, besides that, she's also a lot of fun. And oh, definitely. listening to your conversation with her was uh, very entertaining. Thank you, Barry. Yeah, no, uh, for us, it, it is an honor to have someone like yourself who is a, a groundbreaker in mm. the world of women in umpiring, but it's also like women in professional sport. Um, and, and I'm glad that you kind of still want to, are pushing this, you're wanting to continue to discuss about this. I think I have like one final question would be, when was the last time that you umpired a game? Obviously before the, this kind of like breakers maybe. Uh, not giving you the chance to continue. Are you still uh, umpiring games? Oh, yeah. My last game was, I think, March 1st back in Florida, just before I drove out here to Arizona. Um, Mm -hmm. Baseball was still being played back then, although the virus was starting to make people sit up and take notice. And Major League Baseball shut down on the 12th, but the leagues that I work, uh, high school and um, other leagues like that, 
uh, took a little longer to decide that the season just wasn't going to happen. Mm. Um, so, but I, because I was in Florida, I was very fortunate. I got in about 60 games already this year wow. um, during January, February, and early March. So, um, <laughs> I struggle to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say I'll quit when they wheel me off the field. <laughs> so roughly I'm, how many I'm games going to be out there until umpire. they wheel me off the field or oh in my Korea. lifetime yes probably well uh, I average 150 games a year so 40 times 150 is what 6,000 games um, wow. but but keep in mind they're not all nine inning games some yeah. of them are extra innings but a lot of the games that i mm. work at the amateur level are seven inning games as opposed to nine inning games which frankly i don't think would be such a bad idea for major league baseball to move to the seven inning game instead of the nine um it would save a lot of wear and tear on some of those highly paid athletes. Uh, so I, I, I have what I call sympathy for the irritatingly rich about, <laughs> you know, athletes that are making millions of dollars getting, getting injured on a play that could have been prevented, you know, by an umpire's taking charge of a situation <laughs> and cutting something off at the past before it got to the point where people started getting hurt. So... Oh yeah. Um, as, Are as, we out of time? Did you no. say that was the last question? Well, no. Unless <laughs> Rob has anything to go, if you want to continue to talk with us, Perry, you can you can continue to avail us with stories from from around the world if you like. I have about a million I, questions, I, if I I'm would honest. I'd like to say one thing. You keep credit. Okay, uh, just one interjection. I I would like to to say thank you for tagging me with this highfalutin title of inspirer of all other umpires and trailblazer and pathfinder um but when you say that about me i i kind of i i feel i have a little bit of imposter syndrome because the way i feel about it is that i am not the trailblazer there are women that were the trailblazers before me and they should get the credit um, the ones that went to umpire school and, and made the foray into pro ball, which I never did. Um, there was a woman named Amanda Clement who was umpiring back in the early 1900s around the Midwest, um, who may have gotten the opportunity to umpire in, in the um, newly formed American League. I'm not sure if that tale is true or not, that she got an invitation to umpire in the American League by the president, Van Johnson. But Women have been umpiring as long as they've been playing, which dates back to the days of the Civil War. And that is a part of baseball history that is very much um, under-discussed and in a lot of cases hidden. But it is now um, because of platforms that reach so many people so quickly, um, it's now being uh, unearthed and discussed and talked about. And a lot more people are aware that women have been part of baseball, even part of Major League Baseball, for as long as, as it's been a part of American culture. And um, so thank you for, you know, making me out to be this big, important uh, ringleader of, you know, getting women into the, onto the rosters of umpires. But there are other women, Pam is one of them, Pam Postema. You mentioned Teresa Fairlady, who was also in pro ball, Rhea Cortizio, 
who was um, the last one before this new generation of umpires came up. And now there are two in pro ball, Emma Charlesworth Seiler and Jen Paul. They're the ones that have been in pro ball for I think four and five years or three and four um, respectively, and that have the best chance right now of being uh, making it to the major leagues. So um, I appreciate that, that you uh, are revealing what was <laughs> formerly hidden and giving me a chance, giving me a chance to do the inspiring that you say that I already do. Um, I suspect you're being a little yeah, bit, there are bit lots modest of other there. Women but... That played huge roles. <laughs> well, um, thank You've you. You've done your bit. <laughs> uh, you know, I try to try not to agree. I don't, I don't like to aggrandize my credentials. Mm. Other people do that for me. <laughs> it's like when, when I meet somebody new and they say, oh my gosh, I read all about you and I Googled you and I, I just look at them and I say, hey, it's all lies. <laughs> and not all lies, but, but, you know, unless you hear it from my lips to God's ear, I, I, you know, I would like to say that I've had some impact on, on the current status of women and umpiring but there are others that have had a much greater impact and it is to them that i tip my cap and i'm very grateful for the um for the path that they blazed for me to be able to follow so no and we thank them as as well perry uh, you're standing on the shoulders of giants but there are still more people who need to stand on your shoulders so absolutely Thank you very much for joining us today. Yes. If people want to find you <laughs> online or discuss more stories with you, uh, is there any way that people can do that? Absolutely. You can Google me, but don't believe everything you read. <laughs> <laughs> and I also am on the board of directors of a great organization called the International Women's Baseball Center, which can be found at IWBC4Me on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. You can just type in my name, Perry Barber, P-E-R-R-Y, and then B-A-R-B-E-R. And um, anybody get in touch with me looking for guidance or support or have questions about, you know, a friend that wants to umpire or anything, I will be more than happy to um, offer my uh, vast wisdom to whoever wants it. <laughs> Yes, and we, we both thoroughly suggest that you do. There are probably Absolutely. hundreds, if not thousands, of more stories you can tell us, Perry. And uh, you can find us at batflips underscore nerds on Twitter or batflipsandnerds.com. Uh, finally, I just thank you once again for joining us, Perry, and thank you, Rob, for being with me. Cheers. Oh, thank you. And thank you for loving baseball all the way over across the <laughs> pond. I love In it that you have night. a league over there. And that you have people that are, yeah, it's great. Just love it. Love to come over and umpire there sometime. <laughs>